Chapter Eighteen of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. The Black Hole of Calcutta. When the fire of the enemy slackened, Charlie went to Mr. Hallwell. It is impossible, sir, he said, that the fort can hold out, for in another three or four days the whole of the garrison will be killed. The only hope of safety is for the ships to come up and remove the garrison, which they can do without the slightest damage to themselves. If you will allow me, sir, I will swim down to the ships and represent our situation. Cowardly and inhuman as Mr. Drake has proved himself, he can hardly refuse to give orders for the fleet to move. I don't know, said Mr. Holwell. After the way in which he has behaved, there are no depths of infamy of which I believe him incapable. But you are my right hand here. Supposing Mr. Drake refuses, you could not return. I will come back, sir, Charlie answered. I will, if there be no other way. Make my way along by the river bank. It is comparatively free of the enemy, as our guns commanded. If you will place Mr. Haynes at the corner bastion with a rope, he will recognize my voice, and I can regain the fort. Mr. Holwell consented, and as soon as it was perfectly dark, Charlie issued out at the water gate, took off his coat, waistcoat, and boots, and entered the stream. The current was slack, but he had no difficulty in keeping himself afloat until he saw close ahead of him the lights of the ships. He hailed that nearest him. A rope was thrown, and he was soon on board. Upon stating who he was, a boat was at once lowered, and he was taken to the ship upon which Mr. Drake and Captain Minchin had taken refuge. Upon saying that he was the bearer of a message from the gentleman now commanding the fort, he was conducted to the cabin, where Mr. Drake and Captain Minchin, having finished their dinner, were sitting comfortably over their wine with Captain Young, the senior captain of the company's ships there. I have come, sir, Charlie said to Mr. Drake, for Mr. Holwell, who has, in your absence, been elected to the command of the fort. He bids me tell you that our losses have already been very heavy, and that it is impossible that the fort can hold out for more than twenty-four hours longer. He begs you, therefore, to order up the ships tonight, in order that the garrison may embark. It is quite out of the question, Mr. Drake said coldly. Quite. It would be extremely dangerous. You agree with me, Captain Young, that it would be most dangerous. I consider that it would be dangerous, Captain Young said. And you call yourself, Charlie exclaimed, indignantly, a British sailor. You talk of danger and would desert a thousand men, women, and children, including two hundred of your own countrymen, and leave them at the mercy of an enemy. You forget whom you are speaking to, sir, Mr. Jake said angrily. I forget nothing, sir, Charlie replied, trying to speak calmly. Then, sir, Mr. Howell has charged me that if, however, he could not believe for a moment to be possible, you refuse to move up the ships to receive the garrison on board, then you would at least order all the boats up, as these would be amply sufficient to carry them away. Even in the daytime there would be no danger for the ships, and at night at least boats might come up 
without being exposed to any risk whatever i shall certainly do nothing of the sort mr drake said the danger is even greater for the boats than for the ships and am i sir to return to the garrison of that fort with the news that you utterly desert them that you intend to remain quietly here while they are sacrificed before your eyes is it possible that you are capable of such infamy as this infamy exclaimed the three men rising to their feet i place you in arrest at once for your insolence mr drake said i despise your arrest as i do yourself i do not believe it possible charlie said at last giving vent to his anger and scorn and england will not believe that three englishmen so cowardly so infamous as yourselves are to be found as for you captain minchin if ever after this i come across you i will flog you publicly first and shoot you afterwards like a dog if you dare to meet me as for you captain young you will be doomed to infamy by the contempt and loathing which englishmen will feel when this deed is known cowards base infamous cowards charlie stepped back to go seize him mr drake said himself rushing forward charlie drew back a step and then with all his strength smote the governor between the eyes and he fell in a heap beneath the table then charlie grasped a decanter now he said if either of you hounds move a finger i'll brain you the two officers stood paralyzed charlie walked to the door and sprung up the cabin stairs and as he did so heard shouts for assistance from behind he gained the deck walked quietly to the bulwark and placing his hand upon it sprang over the side into the river he swam to the shore and climbing up the bank made his way along it back to the fort where he arrived without any misadventure a fury of indignation seized all in the fort when the result of charlie's mission became known with daybreak the attack recommenced but the garrison all day bravely repulsed every attempt of the enemy to gain a footing the fire from the houses was, however, so severe that by nightfall nearly half the garrison were killed or wounded. All day the signals to the fleet were kept flying, but not a ship moved. All night an anxious watch was kept in hopes that at the last moment some returning feeling of shame might induce the re recreants to send up the boats of the ships but the night passed without a movement on the river and in the morning the fleet was seen still lying at anchor the enemy recommenced the attack even more vigorously than before the men fell fast and to charlie's great grief his friend mr haines was shot by a bullet as he was standing next to him charlie anxiously knelt beside him it's all over with me he murmured poor little lady do all you can for her mariette god knows what fate is in store for her i will protect her with my life sir charlie said earnestly mr haines pressed his hand feebly in a token of gratitude and two or three minutes later breathed his last by midday the loss had been so heavy that the men could no longer stand to their guns many of the european soldiers broke open the spirit stores and soon drank 
to intoxication. After a consultation with his officers, Mr. Holwell agreed that further resistance was hopeless. The flag of truce was therefore hoisted, and one of the officers at once started for the nabob's camp with instructions to make the best terms he could for the garrison. When the gates were opened, the enemy seized the opportunity, rushed in in great numbers, and as resistance was impossible, the garrison laid down their arms. Charlie at once hurried to the spot where Ada and the only other European lady who had not escaped were anxiously awaiting news. Both were exhausted with weeping. Where is Papa, Captain Marriott? Ada asked. Charlie knew that the poor girl would need all her strength for what she might have to undergo, and at once resolved that, for the present at least, it would be better that she could be in ignorance of the fate of her father. He therefore said that, for the present, Mr. Haynes was unable to come and had asked him to look after her. It was not until five o'clock that the nabob entered the fort. He was furious at hearing that only five lakhs of rupees had been found in the treasury as he had expected to become possessed of a vastly larger sum. Kissendas, the first cause of the present calamities, was brought before him, but the capricious tyrant, contrary to expectations, received him courteously and told him he might return to Dhaka. The whole of the Eurasians, or half the castes and natives found in the fort, were also allowed to return to their homes. Mr. Holwell was then sent for, and after the nabob had expressed his resentment at the small amount found in the treasury, he was dismissed, the nabob assuring him of his protection. Mr. Holwell returned to his English companions, who, 146 in number, including the two ladies, were drawn up under the veranda in front of the prison. The nabob then returned to his camp. Some native officers went in search of some building where the prisoners could be confined, but every room in the fort had already been taken possession of by the nabob's soldiers and officers. At eight o'clock they returned with the news that they could find no place vacant, and the officer in command at once ordered the prisoners into a small room used as a guard room for insubordinate soldiers, eighteen feet square in vain implored the officer to allow some of them to be confined in an adjoining cell the wretch was deaf to their entreaties he ordered his soldiers to charge the prisoners and these with blows of the butt-ends of the musket and prods of the bayonets were driven into the narrow cell tim kelly had kept close to his master during the preceding days the whole of the four native officers who had so distinguished themselves under Charlie, would kill during the siege. Hosan, who would fain have shared his master's fortune, was forcibly torn from him when the English prisoners were separated from the natives. The day had been unusually hot. The night was close and sultry, and the arch veranda outside further hindered the circulation of the air. This was still heavy with the fumes of powder, creating an intolerable thirst. Scarcely were the prisoners driven into their narrow cell, where, even standing wedged closely together, there was barely room for them. 
then cries for water were raised tim my boy charlie said to his companion we may say good-bye to each other now for i doubt if one will be alive when the door is opened in the morning on entering charlie always keeping ada hines by his side had taken his place against the wall farthest from the window which was closed with iron bars i think your honor tim said that if we could get nearer to the window we might breathe a little more easy ay tim but there will be a fight for life round that window before long you and i might hold our own if we could get there though it would be no easy matter where all are struggling for life but this poor little girl would be crushed to death besides i believe that what chance there is faint as it may be is greater for us here than there the rush towards the window which is beginning already as you see will grow greater and greater and the more men struggle and strive the more air they require let us remain where we are strip off your coat and waistcoat and breathe as quietly and easy as you can every hour the crowd will thin and we may yet hold on till morning this conversation had been held in a low voice charlie then turned to the girl how are you feeling ada he asked cheerfully it's hot isn't it it is dreadful the girl panted and i seem choking from want of air and oh captain marriott i am so thirsty it is hot my dear terribly hot but we must make the best of it and i hope in a few days you will join your mamma on board ship that will be pleasant won't it where is papa the girl will i don't know where he is now my child at any rate we must feel very glad that he's not shut up in here with us now take your bonnet off and your shawl undo the hooks of your dress and loosen everything you can we must be as quiet and cheerful as possible i'm afraid ada we have a bad time before us tonight but try to keep cheerful and quiet and above all dear pray god to give you strength to carry you through it and to restore you safe to your mamma in a few days as time went on the scene in the dungeon became terrible shouts oaths cries of all kinds rose in the air round the window men fought like wild beasts tearing each other down or clinging to the bars for dear life for a breath of the air without panting struggling crying men sank exhausted upon the floor and the last remnants of life were trodden out of them by those who surged forward to get near the window in vain mr holwell implored them to keep quiet for their own sake his voice was lost in the terrible din men a few hours ago rich and respected matrons now fought like maddened beats for a breath of fresh air in vain those at the window screamed to the gods without imploring them to bring water their prayers and entreaties were replied to only with brutal scoffs several times charlie and tim standing together against the wall behind where there was now room to move lifted ada between them and sat her on their shoulders in order that raised above the crowd she might breathe more freely each time after sitting there for a while the poor girl begged to come down again the sight of the terrible struggle ever going on at the window 
being too much for her and when released leaning against charlie supported by his arm and with her head against his shoulder and her hands over her ears to shut out the dreadful sound which filled the cell hour passed after hour there were more room now for already half the inmates of the place had succumbed the noises too had lessened for no longer could the parched lips and throats utter articulate sounds charlie and tim strong men as they were leaned utterly exhausted against the wall bathed in perspiration gasping for air half the night may be gone charlie said and i think with god's help we shall live through it the numbers are lessening fast and every one who goes leaves more air for the rest of us cheer up ada dear twill not be very long till morning i think i shall die soon the girl gasped i shall never see papa or mamma again you have been very kind captain marryat but it is no use oh but it is of use charlie said cheerfully i don't mean to let you die at all but to hand you over to your mamma safe and sound there lay your head against me dear say your prayers and try to go off to sleep presently however Ada's figure drooped more and more until her whole weight leaned upon Charlie's arm. She has fainted, Tim, he said. Help me to raise her well in my arms and lay her head on my shoulder. That's right. Now you'll find a shawl somewhere under my feet. Hold it up and make a fan out of it. Now try to send some of the air into her face by this time not more than fifty out of the hundred and forty-six who entered the cell were alive suddenly a scream of joy from those near the window proclaimed that a native was approaching with some water the struggle at the window was fiercer than ever the bowl was too wide to pass through the bars and the water was being spilt in maine each man who strove to get his face far enough through to touch the bowl being torn back by his eager comrades behind tim charlie said you are now much stronger than most of them they are faint from their struggle make a charge to the window take that little shawl and dip it in the bowl or whatever they have there and then fight your way back with it i will do it your honor said tim and he rushed into the struggling group weak as he was from exhaustion and thirst he was as a giant to most of the poor wrenches who had been struggling and crying all night and in spite of their cries and curses he broke through them and forced his way to the window the man with the bowl was on the point of turning away the water being spilt in the vain attempts of those within to obtain it by the light of the fire which the guard had lit without tim saw his face hussein he explained more water for god's sake the master's alive yet Hossein at once withdrew, but soon again approached with the bowl. The officer in charge angrily ordered him to draw back. Let the infidel dogs howl, he said. They shall have no more. Regardless of the order, Hussein ran to the window, and Tim thrust the shawl into the water at the moment when the officer, rushing forward, struck Hossein to the ground, a cry of anguish rising from the prisoners as they saw the water being dashed from their lips tim made his way back to the side of his master had those who still remained alive been aware of the supply of water which he carried 
in the shawl they would have torn it from him but none save those just at the window had noticed the act and inside it was still entirely dark thank god your honor here it is tim said and who should have brought it but hossein sure your honor we both owe our lives to him this time for i'm sure i should have been choked by thirst before morning ada was now lowered to the ground and forcing her teeth asunder a corner of the folded shawl was placed between her lips and the water allowed to trickle down with a gasping sigh she presently recovered that is delicious she murmured that is delicious raising her to her feet charlie and tim both sucked the dripping shawl until the first agonies of the thirst were relieved then tearing off a portion in case ada should again require it charlie passed the shawl to mr holwell who after sucking it for a moment again passed it on to several standing round and in this way many of those who would otherwise have succumbed were enabled to hold on until morning presently the first dawn of daylight appeared giving fresh hopes to the few survivors there were now only six or eight standing by the window and a few standing or leaning against the walls around the room itself was heaped high with the dead it was not until two hours later that the doors were opened and the guard entered and it was found that of the hundred and forty-six englishmen enclosed there the night before but twenty-three still breathed of these very few retained strength to stagger out through the door the rest were carried out and laid in the veranda when the nabob came into the fort in the morning he ordered mr howell to be brought before him he was unable to walk but was carried to his presence the brutal nabob expressed no regret for what had happened but loaded him with abuse on account of the paucity of the treasure and ordered him to be placed in confinement the other prisoners were also confined in a cell ada the only english female who had survived the siege was torn weeping from charlie's arms and conveyed to the zenana or ladies apartments of one of the nabob's generals a few days later the english captives were all conveyed to morshedabad where the rajah also returned after having extorted large sums from the french and dutch and confiscated the whole of the property of the english in bengal the prospect was a gloomy one for the captives that the english would in time return and extort a heavy reckoning from the nabob they did not doubt for a moment but nothing was more likely than that at the news of the first disaster which befell his troops the nabob would order his captives to be put to death upon the march up the country charlie had by his cheerfulness and good temper gained good will of the officer commanding the guard and upon arriving at their destination he recommended him so strongly to the commander of the prison that the latter instead of placing him in the apartment allotted to the remainder of the prisoners assigned a separate room to him permitting tim at his request to occupy it with him it was a room of fair size and a tower on one of the angles of the walls it had bars but these did not prevent those behind them looking out at the country which stretched around the governor of the prison 
finding that charlie spoke the language fluently often came up to sit with him conversing with him on the affairs of that unknown country england altogether they were fairly treated their food was plentiful and beyond their captivity they had little to complain of over and over again they talked about the possibilities of effecting an escape but on entering the prison they had noticed how good was the watch how many and strong the doors through which they had passed they had meditated upon making a rope and escaping from the window but they slept on the divan each with a rug to cover them and these torn into strips and twisted would not reach a quarter of the way from their window to the ground and there was no other material of which a rope could possibly have been formed our only hope charlie said one day is in hosan i am sure he will follow us to the death and if he did not know where we are confined he would riot he would not i am certain rest day or night till he had opened a communication with us see tim there is my regimental cap with its gold lace let us fasten it outside the bars with a thread from that rug course we must remove it when we hear anyone coming this was speedily done and for the next few days one or the other remained constantly at the window mr charles tim exclaimed in great excitement one day there is a man i've been watching for the last half hour he seems to be picking up sticks but all the while he keeps getting nearer and nearer and two or three times it seemed to me that he has looked up in this direction charlie joined tim at the window yes tim you are right that's hossein i'm pretty sure the man had now approached within two or three hundred yards of the corner of the wall he was apparently collecting pieces of dried brushwood for firing presently he glanced in the direction of the window charlie thrust his arm through the bar and waved his hand the man threw up his hands with a gesture which to a casual observer would have appeared accidental but which the watchers had no doubt whatever was intended for them he was still too far off from them to be able to distinguish his features but they had not the least doubt that it was hussein end of chapter eighteen